through Jesus' kingdom parables in St. Matthew's Gospel. The story of the hidden treasure, we had the unmerciful servant, the laborers in the vineyard, and today, the story of the two sons. All of these passages point to that alternative world of which Jesus loved to speak. The kingdom that is not of this world, but is where God, his Father, is king, and where the love and the grace of God is most fully known. Our parable this Sunday is a bit short, and at first sight, a bit insubstantial. But actually, as with all of Jesus' teaching, it does pack a punch, considering the people to whom and about whom Jesus was speaking. It is the day after Palm Sunday, the Monday in Holy Week, and Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem and gone up into the temple, and it's pretty clear that he didn't like what he saw there, and nor did he like the people in charge who in their turn are making it pretty clear that they don't like him either. And as he was coming into Jerusalem the next morning after spending the night in Bethany, he went to pick a fig from a fig tree and found no figs on it. The fig tree with no figs. The temple with no proper worship. The chief priests and the elders with no true faith. Everywhere in Jesus' eyes there is form without content. There is appearance hiding emptiness. So when Jesus is speaking to these important people about the son who says that he will do his father's will, but actually doesn't do it, he is not only speaking to them, he's speaking about them. In his understanding, they are presenting themselves as faithful servants of God. But in true fact, they are anything but. These men in their high positions had no doubt started off, as so many do, with the best of intentions, pursuing wisdom, learning holiness. But gradually, they became so wise, and so learned, and so holy, that those things started to stand in the stead of faith. The empty, struggling men who had begun their journey, looking only to God and his grace, were now in their maturity, putting their faith not in God's grace alone, but in the extent of their wisdom, in their wonderful holiness in their supreme uprightness 
And they had begun to believe that these achievements guaranteed them a place in the kingdom. And this sort of thing happens particularly for religious leaders far more often than you would think. It's easier for this to happen than you might think. Being clever, being holy, being upright. It tends to validate us in our own eyes. We no longer see ourselves, at least primarily, as struggling sinners. And as a result, inevitably, we lose the central point, the central truth about God and us. But no achievement, however impressive, can buy us a place in the kingdom. Holiness will not get you to heaven. Wisdom will not get you to heaven. Moral uprightness will not get you to heaven. We are only ever saved by grace. Which brings us to the second part of the parable, which belongs tightly, intimately to the first part. When Jesus tells these distinguished people that tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom ahead of them, might say, one might say, that possible? What is it that makes the chief priests and elders less acceptable to God than the morally compromised tax collectors and the morally shipwrecked prostitutes? But Matthew has already presented the answer in the opening chapters of his gospel and his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus began by speaking of those he believed would be the first to enter the kingdom. The first, he said, first will be those who know their need of God. Know their need of God. Lose your need. And you lose everything. And the people who are most likely to lose everything to lose that sense of need are those who have the most moral and the most spiritual capital. Those most vulnerable to losing their need of God are the people like those chief priests and elders, those who are wise, those who are holy, those who are upright. Because when you are like that, as Jesus well knew, you can believe you have the right to salvation. That God has to let you into the kingdom. But you know, God doesn't have to do anything. Not even if it seems right to you. Not even if it seems logical to you. I recently read a book by the Indian poet Jeet Thayil. I notice that he's in England at the moment, speaking at the Edinburgh Festival. He's also speaking at the South Bank Centre. His book called Narcopolis, I don't know if anyone knows it, 
It was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize a few years ago. It's a fictionalized account of Thiel's life when he was a drug addict in Mumbai in the 1970s and 1980s. And he records some of the people that he knew then, and among them, a young prostitute known as Dimple. When he was a boy of seven or eight years old, Dimple had been sold by his destitute mother to some priests who had his genitals cut off and who set him to work as a prostitute. He received no education, but he managed to teach himself to read after a fashion from the magazines and the books that he found lying around. And he was always struggling to understand through a mix of Hindu, Muslim, Christian images and writings. His impressions were obviously confused, but certain things stood out in his memory. And among them a statue of Jesus that he had once seen in a Christian church. And he had gazed at that statue for a long time, studying the bruises, the wounds on the body, the circle of thorns on his head that drips blood onto his eyes and mouth. And finally, it was as if the statue spoke to him, though his lips didn't move. Love me, Jesus was saying, because I'm poor and alone, just like you. Dimple died in his early 30s, already an old man. He came back from the hospital to the space under the stairs that the owner of an opium den allowed him to claim for his own. And he died there. And in his last days, the pain he had suffered all his life, the aches, the bones that weren't properly developed, began to slip away. And he discovered a joy, a gratitude, and a love that he had not known before. I am loved, he said to the owner of the opium den. And you, dear friend, you are loved too. And those were his last words. I have no trouble in believing that it is people like Dimple who are gathered first into the kingdom of heaven. But that is how it is with God. He does not see us. He does not see things as we see them, as the world sees them. There in his kingdom of heaven, things are different. As Sam Walker said last week, in God's kingdom, we are not rewarded as we expect to be rewarded. 
And as Julie Bailey Smith said the week before, in his kingdom, there is a richness of forgiveness that nothing, like nothing, we can know in this world. And from today's gospel, we can be sure that in his kingdom, those are most deeply loved who in this world have known the least of love. God's kingdom of heaven is different to the kingdom of this world. And as H. Better said a few weeks ago in her talk on the kingdom, when we glimpse it, we who are weary and heavy laden with the cares, the cruelties, the injustices of this world, know that there is no better no more beautiful place to be. Amen.